Welcome to this week's episode. Uh, today I'm joined by uh, Sara Chavez, who is also another Instagram uh, person that I have been chatting to for some time. Uh, Sara is a marketing consultant for health companies and she's also a biohacker, um, spends quite a bit of time in and around the biohacking community. And today we're going to be talking mental health, okay, which you probably didn't expect from that statement. And the reason is, um, when it was World Mental Health Day, um, I actually came across a post that Sarah had put down and it wasn't in her normal remit of talking about biohacking and health and so on. Actually, there was a, a very, very uh, authentic post about how you um, how you decided to share something about your journey um, with people on social media. And I noticed that it was a really, really raw, emotional um, post. So rather than me kind of trying to do the post injustice, um, I'm I'm going to ask Sarah about why why did you why did you come to that decision to put the post out in the first place? Um, I felt that I wish I wish that someone has had done that post similar to me some years ago. It would have saved me a lot of internet searching. Mm -hmm. I feel like when I did it also, I ended up reaching out to people that also had it and um, they basically never connected with me about that. And it's been, it's been quite a, an amazing journey since I've been uh, researching more about OCD um, that mm -hmm. I've been finding out about more people that have exactly the same things that I have. And um, it's good to, to, to feel kind of normal feel like I'm not out of the ordinary so that's why I, I felt like I needed to share and it wasn't an easy post obviously um but I felt it needed to be done especially on mental health day in it mm -hmm. yeah yeah so I mean we've we've just been talking off air in terms of um the number of posts that don't come up often enough about this and you know in terms of people that we know um Obviously, people can go back and listen to this episode. Uh, the episode that I did with Sean Wells, where we talked about his, uh, he actually called it his broken is his beautiful. And what I've really noticed is this is where where I think conversations like this can be really helpful. Um, and I'm just wondering, actually, if I should explain what OCD is, just in case anybody's listening and they don't know what it is. So it's, it's a diagnostic um, label. Uh, that's, that means obsessive compulsive disorder. Now, it kind of sounds really demonistic, doesn't it? That there's this obsession and it compulsion <laughs> and it's a disorder. You know what I mean? It's like, could, could we not say it in a, in a more gentle, compassionate way? But actually, it's about the fact that things come to the forefront often or more often than you might, might like. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, in terms of the neuroscience and how the brain works, it's what I call the safety system. This is the one that says, uh oh, just just check in. It's best to not do that because da 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 da. And you can go from naught to catastrophe really quickly. But actually, you need you need this system to keep you safe. And in in working with uh, when I work with people who have this diagnosis, there's lots and lots of varying ways about it. So this is what we were just talking about um, before we started recording is, you know, there's lots and lots of continuums of what this actually means. And, yeah. you know, it's it's given you the support by being able to go and find people who who also have these three letters uh, after after their net, if you like. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly why I decided to do the post was because 
when someone told me, oh, you might have OCD because I had obsessive thoughts, the only thing that came to my mind was, okay, that person that is obsessed, uh, obsessed with cleaning, obsessed with uh, having stuff straight or mm-hmm. obsessed with checking if the door is really closed or something like that. So I didn't know that actually the obsessions could be only in your mind, which is exactly what I have. Mm-hmm. Which, what we usually say is that, for example, if someone thinks, oh, I could throw myself in front of the train right now, a normal person will just forget that, that thought. Someone with OCD will just be stuck in that thought like oh my god why would I think something like that why Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like you are almost harming yourself in your own mind has always thinking about the same and you really can't forget it and a lot of the compulsions I some of my own compulsions are a bit like forget that forget that forget that and the more you try to push that away from your mind the worse it is the the worse Mm -hmm. it comes after you so, um, so yeah, it's been quite a journey also to to find out how to deal with it. And um, now that I know the right way to deal with it, because until now, I, I didn't know. I was just diagnosed with anxiety. And obviously, the way you treat anxiety is, is different. And I was really mm. surprised to find out that actually I had a different diagnosis. And uh, I'm surprised that it's just not mentioned more often. Mm-hmm. I Well, I mean, in terms of how how those areas in the brain work actually those two areas are quite connected as well anyway in terms of um anxiety is what yeah. if and then you've got the what if okay shut up now go away get rid of that thought but what if i think about it again okay go away and it, it's it's that cycle isn't it you know what i mean and i'm thinking actually whether i should so that people can understand this actually there's there's a theory called thought suppression and when you yeah. try to suppress a thought, it actually gains momentum and strength. So the way the way that I am thinking about this is I might say to people, don't think about a pink rabbit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But when I say don't think about a pink rabbit, you'll probably forget about it. But between now and I don't know, let's say let's give everybody a week. The next time that you look at something pink and it might be a pair of gloves, it might be a flower, you might actually think of the pink colour and the pink colour might actually remind you of the pink rabbit that I've told you not to think about. So actually what you might now find is for the next week, and I'm really sorry that I've just done this to people, but actually for the next week, every time you see something pink, you might have this, oh, I'm thinking of that pink rabbit, you know. Yeah, exactly. Damn that cat for putting this in my head and thinking like this, right? Yeah. And that's that's actually really important because... If you think about, if we go back to Neanderthal times, those thoughts are about keeping us safe. So, you know, was was that a tiger I saw down by the river or was it a moving bush? I don't know. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to put that as a, as a thought that said it could have been a tiger. It might not have been, but actually let me err on the side of caution. Yeah. And then you kind of make that assumption um, about the next time that you go down to the, the lake to go and get some water, you're already thinking about what if that tiger's there? What if that lion's there? What if that so-and-so's there? All of the things that you need to think of to keep yourself safe. So yeah. it's, it's a good system, but sometimes it becomes a little bit loud. I think that's, yeah. the, that's the way I would it. Yeah, exactly. And that's what happened during lockdown was that the thoughts ended up so loud that I had to go and get a therapist Mm -hmm. Uh, during lockdown which I really wasn't expecting and what I ended up finding out was that actually the more I would say forget it forget it the more they were coming at me so now what I'm doing also with the therapist is is basically I've been practicing to stay with them and allowing them and also finding out Mm -hmm. that I do have OCD also helped 
because before I would be really scared of my own thoughts. And now I'm just like, oh, having them is actually quite normal. More Mm -hmm. people have it. So I accept them and I let them stay. And that's how they end up losing their strength. Yes. So um, if I go, I'm going to go woo-woo on you now. Right. If I go, (laughs) if I go woo-woo, number one, I think what we talked about, and we'll probably come back to that in a minute, actually, that that thought getting bigger and bigger and bigger is just like the inflammation pathway. So there's a, there's a thought for you to come back uh, that we can come back to. But actually, if we go to um, the the psychologist Carl Jung and we go back to what he was talking about many many years ago, he would say that there's this shadow side, yeah, mm-hmm. and the shadow side is that space and place that we all have where we think the unthinkable okay so when i work with young children they will say things like they hate their parents they wish they were dead and if i say to them and how would they do i'll tell you what there's some macabre ways that these parents could be murdered by children's (laughs) thoughts right but it doesn't necessarily mean that they'll carry them out it's we all have the capability to think really uh macabre dark things and in the work of um kind of what i've done but also something that I've uh, recently done and something that I'm doing again is all about this, this kind of shadow work. And, you know, one of the things that I would say is if you could hear some of the thoughts that I think you would be probably thinking, and this is, this is something that um, I do kind of talk to my clients about. You would be thinking, how is she a therapist? (laughs) Because if she can think that, okay. Now, some of those thoughts have come from places where I've been hurt where you know where a relationship has ended and believe you me you don't want to be in my head when I'm thinking them thoughts because they are really horrible but you also have those kind of thought processes about yourself as well you know in terms of I'm no good um people will think you know I can tell you now every single episode that I do of this podcast I click the stop button and afterwards I'm like why do I talk so much why did I say that why did I do that why did I do that so you know there's something about sitting opposite you right now, Sarah, and I know we're not in a, the same room, but sitting opposite you right now is somebody who does the same kind of things. Mm. So I think we could all probably uh, do well to talk about this stuff because it's it's really front and centre what we think and then how we deal with that kind of thought process. Yeah, and I feel like it's connected with everything in our lives. Uh, one mm-hmm. of the, the biggest reasons why also I got um, into the health um to health uh, awareness it's because I'm quite concerned also in passing this to my kids for example uh, has for example the science of epigenetics or even like <laughs> however I am going to bring them up I really am concerned and how is it going to be the next generation so I feel like the more I talk about this and the more I feel I'm working also on myself and I'm working also and everyone around me, because everyone has their impact, right? So if mm-hmm. I'm talking yeah. about OCD here, who knows if maybe someone in, in my family also has it, which would be completely normal, because yeah. it's known to be also a genetic thing. Or who knows, like my kids or my grandkids will know that actually my grandmother spoken about OCD. I might actually have also OCD. And things mm-hmm. just make it easier for everyone. Uh, not only and, and not only they'll be more outspoken, they'll be able to treat it easier and um i hope also i'll do a better job also at um explaining them and showing them how to take care of themselves obviously 
Well, I mean, this is this is definitely where those two worlds, like I was saying, the, the worlds of functional health and kind of the, the therapy or understanding mental health really come it, to, to kind of a, a nice, a beautiful point, actually, because you can actually get um, like the nutrigenetic tests on. Um, so I do my do mine uh, through Nordics. So I'm a Nordics practitioner. Mm-hmm. And one of the tests is called DNA Mind. And what it does is it comes back with your propensity for addictive behaviours, mental health issues such as anxiety and depression. Yeah. So you can already see kind of the, the dopamogenic pathways, dopamogenic even pathways, um, that might put you at that that and I, I do like the words proclivity and propensity because you know genes are not your destiny yeah. but there is also something about environment shapes so if you weren't possibly taught how to deal with your anxious thoughts then you will have a particular way of dealing with them and in in terms of what we talk about in therapy you would then pass that on because that's the only way you know how to do it so for example we parent how we were parented until we learn a different way to do it and uh-huh. I think what what you're doing, and I'm going to say at your age, because I do know that I'm a lot older than you, you know, what you're doing at your age is going to make such a difference for when you do have children, because yeah. you will be making those epigenetic changes because the environment in which you bring up your children yeah. is going to be different to the one you were brought up in. You're, you're going to have different ways of doing things and you'll have different strategies. Yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm not demonizing any parents here, but there's 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 an approach here where you will do things differently and this is this is why i like being a trauma therapist because you get to change the story now yeah and uh to be fair i did i have heard a few times that joke about i wish my parents went to therapy before me <laughs> it would have helped me a bit <laughs> um my well I'll, t- I'll tell you now my children say that because i wasn't a therapist when they were small um oh. and when they were about 10 or 11 then i trained to, but that's when i trained and i've done things so differently over the past you know 13 14 15 years that they like to remind me of and do you remember when we were six and you did this and you did and i i have to go yeah well i didn't know then and i didn't have the tools um yeah. But one of the one of the best poems that I think, and I've got it up in the house actually, because I think I think it's really funny. Um, I'm trying to remember who it's by. Is it um, Phil? Somebody or other. It's called Parents. They f- you up. <laughs> then what they do is they pass on that to you, but then they just add a little bit on extra. So it's it's yeah. like intergenerationally we're carrying, you know, because it'd be my mess plus my ex husband's plus you know. There's a whole heap of stuff. And, you know, as a trauma therapist, I look at the fact that my kids have had to go through what they've gone through. And I had all intents to never give them the same kind of childhood height that I had. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's that's what I'm worried about also. To be fair, I I grew up in a little hell also. Um, so I had a quite abusive dad. Uh, he also <laughs> had his own uh, mental issues also. So I have a feeling that obviously had massive impact on me mm-hmm. and that's what I'm concerned about is that I don't want to pass the flag to the next generation and also not to mention like even my mom and my sister they do see what I do and they do see how I'm trying to take care of myself and that also has an impact on them which is amazing and this is mm-hmm. why also I decided to do the post is that it's not only my family directly to me that see me doing stuff it's also the people online they get incentivized also yeah. to to talk, to explore, and even exercising. Now, lately, I've been exercising a bit more and posting about it. And I do feel that that, that has an impact on, on people. 
they do kind of, it's almost like a reminder of like, take care of yourself uh, because taking care of yourself, it's not easy. Mm. It will never be easy for anyone. It's just, you have to do it because you know, it has to be done. Yeah. And nobody else is going to do it for you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So actually I'm going to quote, because I know you've recently just read their books. Jamie Wheel says, do your own press ups. (laughs) Yeah, it is exactly is that people sometimes talk about, oh, I don't like to go to the gym or, oh, I don't like to meditate or stuff like that. Um, To be fair, I, I'm not a big fan of meditation. I'm just a big fan of the results. I'm not a big fan of, uh, of going to the gym when it's rainy. I'm just a really big fan of the results. And it's the same with the posts that I do is I'm trying to, I don't know, kind of like I don't want to say influence, <laughs> but mm. kind of like, just like, this is what I do and I'm trying my best. And it's, it's good to talk about it also. And yeah. it's good also to see the comments from other people. This is what I, I, I thought it was amazing was people reaching out to say, thank you for posting this or uh, how did you do this? Or how did you do that? Um, sharing knowledge. Mm. So I think what struck me about, and I know that I kind of came to you in the DMs to to ask you to mm-hmm. do this. What I think what struck me was that that conversation, and and that's that's the point that that I was going to try and get at in terms of why why we ended up or why we are doing this now, was because it, there was a vulnerability. So I don't know if you've read much of Brene Brown, but she talks about being yeah. in the arena. Is you know this is that you were kicking ass, as she would say, and mm-hmm. you know you were in the arena. You said, "Here's my vulnerability." And actually what it resulted in was connection, conversation, um, all of the all of the things that I think are absolutely fantastic about human beings. And there was compassion. There was a lot of, you know, thank you. Um, you know, you talking about this has meant that I can now talk about it. I thought I was the only one. And and it was just it was it was like a mini community that appeared just from that one post that you put up, even though I know those people do watch you and talk on other posts. Yeah, yeah. It was quite interesting how people kind of came to that particular post yeah yeah exactly and um and everyone has a bit of uh, mental health issues although like mm-hmm. although like we don't talk about it on our public health system I think it does impact everything and it does impact everyone uh and it needs to be mentioned more often I think um yeah. and the more people talk about it and the more they are aware of the impacts on everything in our lives um I think the better it is for everyone, obviously, because uh, it does impact like anything. Mm. Well, I mean, the thing is, 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 um, and and I, I sometimes get get a little bit stuck with this kind of mental health because actually, I don't think there is it, the same as physical health. I think this, you know, it kind of denotes this absence of disease. Uh, um, but I, I think we're going to veer towards actually the the way that we perceive mental health in. Uh, particularly in the UK and how we have this uh, quick one-stop conveyor belt system that currently exists in terms of, well, you can go and get some support, but it's not enough. Um, And then, you know, it's, it's the, the NHS kind of system, um, which they call IAPT, which is, and I, I love the fact that this is called improving access to psychological therapies, but I'm not sure it actually improves anything for anybody in terms of, the, the short amount of sessions that you get and the way that sometimes they're delivered and it leaves people with this this feeling of well where do I go now what what do I do yeah exactly um they really this has really struck me uh, to be honest I I did do I did had a, a therapist in Portugal uh for a while uh there was from the the government and um 
I had multiple sessions and it was fine. So when I arrived in UK recently and I had some breakdowns and I thought to also contact an NHS and they told me, oh, you have six or seven sessions or something. And afterwards they were like saying, well, if you want to continue, you have to be actually suicidal and say you're having suicidal thoughts for you to continue to have mm-hmm. this therapy. I didn't, this didn't make any sense, especially when some of my OCD actually makes me incapable of working. And this is why during lockdown, it was pretty bad was that for a few days, I just really didn't want to move, to eat, to, to mm-hmm. walk. I didn't want to do anything. So this is really in, like really bad for any person. Imagine if I had kids and then what would I do? Would I call the hospital? And then the hospital are like, well, mm-hmm. we don't know what to do with you. Take a calming pill maybe. Mm-hmm. And then that's it. You just put a pill on the symptoms instead of trying to figure out uh, the root cause of the issue. And, yeah. and to be fair, if you have, if you work on the root cause of your issue, you will work on the root cause of generations to come. Yep, 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 yep. yep <laughs> it would yep. be so much easier for <laughs> yes. everyone if we would invest a bit more on mental health. We would definitely work on not this generation only, but the next one, and possibly even. Even the government maybe would have like benefits on that. Like mm-hmm. maybe less egos working in there, less depressions, less anxieties. <laughs> Everything would be just better. Oh, for, for those for those who can't can't say it, there is there is a whole heap of you know massive nodding going on, and I'm like yes yes <laughs> let's just let's keep talking about this because yeah. Now, um, what I do know is that they do have the crisis teams for those moments in times, but you have to be in real real crisis, and like you, like you said, you have to be almost um attempting to take your own life and i know of children that i work with who have done that and i've referred them through to these systems and they've basically said well it's all right you've got a therapist and you know what you need to yeah. do is just get in contact and i'm i'm not a crisis team i'm not i'm not available all hours of the day although it kind of feels like that sometimes but you know it's it's really really difficult to see the system you know and i i'm i'm I don't know. I'm apathetic about it at times, but I'm also, you know, I think it's also to do with the way we set it up in the first instance. I don't think we thought people would have um, mental health across the board. I think we thought it would just be those that are, um, you know, on the the spectrum of psychosis and things like that. Because I think when, when, when the systems were set up, those were the people that they dealt with, you know, the very, the very poorly as they, as they yeah. would say um but actually what about what about us at this end that aren't necessarily those at that end if that makes sense yeah but even like i think a lot of people could actually think that mental health is only when it's like a desperate moment but it isn't mental health is maybe overreacting towards your husband who knows mm-hmm. or overreacting mm-hmm. towards your children if you overreact over something that really triggers you, it's gonna have an impact on your kid. So technically mental health, if you work with one person, you're working also with the sphere of people around that person. Yes. They will yes. also all be impacted. And um, and this is why I feel like, imagine, imagine that that person that didn't have the help from the crisis team, whatever, they're gonna grow up and they're gonna be the CEO of a company and then what is he doing with his employees? Uh, well, it's an impact. <laughs> it's impacting generations to come. <laughs> or, or, run, or running a country. Yeah, you know, or running a country. Yeah. Exactly. 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 Yeah. We really don't think about this, do we? Like, we just think, oh, yeah, it's an anxiety. Just take a calming pill. Yeah, what? A calming pill? Actually, I must say, when I was 13, so I have OCD since I was, I don't know, eight, nine, I think. 
-hmm. When I was 13 years old, I had a doctor who told me I should take a calming pill every day. And I was 13. And I, I remember at the time, my mom actually thought, maybe you should do what the doctor tells you. And I was just mm -hmm. like, no, that's BS. I'm not, I'm not going to take a calming pill for the rest of my life. I don't think yeah. it's fair. When you're 13, like, wh why would I take a calming pill? Well, all I can tell you is that I work with a lot of children who are, um, they are given antidepressants, melatonin, um, uh, drug, basically pharmaceutical drugs for all sorts of issues. So um, I know of children with eating disorders that get given SSRIs and they're not even related on the spectrum of yeah. eating disorders is not about um, depression. Yeah, it's not about depression. They're given, yeah, and melatonin is often given to children with autism because children with autism don't sleep. I know it's, yeah. it's, it's seriously confusing, but the bit that I find most difficult to to tolerate as a therapist is the brain is still growing until you're yeah. around 25 to 28 so there's a lot of potential um brain damage occurring because of the pharmaceuticals and you know i think this is what leads a lot of people into this this health arena because we're all trying to find what it what that root cause is oh yeah oh yeah that's that's exactly how i ended up in the biohacking sphere mm -hmm. and, and working in health it's because I just got tired of hearing doctors telling me stuff that it just didn't make any sense or mm. like, okay, I have anxiety. I was diagnosed with anxiety when I was 21. I was prescribed SSRIs. I am now 29. No one ever told me you should stop SSRIs or let's try to find a way for you to stop SSRIs. So as far as I'm concerned, I should be taking them for the rest of my life. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. This didn't... I was fine before, like surviving, okay, but like, why would I take this pill? And what is, what is the issues for the rest of my life? I don't think that a night sweat for the rest of my life would make any sense because that's one of actually of the things that can happen to you if you take SSRIs. Yeah, and also, if you actually read the side effects, um, they can increase suicide ideation and suicidal feelings oh yeah i've heard so yeah. you know the the thoughts and feelings that go with these farms and you know i mean we we, we I, I know that this is talked about a lot in the the biohacking sphere that actually oh, there's a lot to be said about 50 percent of the population shouldn't take ssris anyway based on their genetics hmm. so you can imagine that you know and and i know that it's the go-to response in terms of um you know quick fixing so if you're given SSRIs, um, it's about, you know, here's your tablets, go away. I've got other yeah. patients to see that are, you know, that I could be doing really. And I'm not saying all GPs are like this or all doctors or anything, but actually there's there's a part about go away. You've got a lesser problem than this big meaty, juicy one that I can get my teeth into and kind of talk about with my friends about, oh, did you see that I was working with this issue or that issue? Yeah, so... When I when I went for the first psychiatrist, I remember my mom at the time, she paid a really expensive psychiatrist at the time. And I don't know why for, because the prescription was exactly the same as all the other psychiatrists are giving. Mm -hmm. But uh, the worst part was that I was prescribed SSRIs, yes, uh, but I was also prescribed benzos. And at the time, it was uh, life-changing because I was really bad. I could barely move without being like scared of my thoughts. So for me, it was life-changing because I finally left the bed and I was finally mm -hmm. like able to function a bit like drugged up, but I was able yeah. to function. But obviously, I was always really scared with the benzos. So I didn't have any idea of what they would do 
I saw one of my friends actually ended up drugged up on benzos and she ended up in hospital, but I had no idea until recently I saw Jordan Peterson. They ended up uh, with too much benzos and he had to end up in a coma in Russia to be able to get off them. And that's when I was just like, oh my God, these are the pills that I avoid taking. I only have them for urgency. And I've been prescribed them all this time since I was 21. So I get get a bunch of boxes every time I go to the pharmacy. And I'm like, this is like almost like water. And someone could have told me how dangerous this is. Well, yes. And, and, you know, the medical community and the Hippocratic Oath is do no harm. Yeah. And yet, exactly. and yet these these pharmaceuticals actually can have a huge, you know, I think, well, yes, all I'm going to say is I, I reckon that somewhere along the line, most people who are in, into biohacking and so on have had this kind of journey and been prescribed all these kinds of medicines um, in, in an attempt to help. But actually, you know, when you talk about you know that your friend and you know I've particularly worked with a few people who who end up becoming quite dependent upon certain chemicals yeah yeah no and even I even I so basically I stopped my SSRIs during lockdown I had a um, I had a meltdown again I had to come on my uh, SSRIs and every time I forget to take them I still feel a bit wo- woozy in my head mm. so and it's pretty bad to think that I'm quite dependent on them but as I usually say it's it's a journey and I just wish that the health community would give more intention to the root cause of issues instead of just giving the pills symptoms because this is exactly what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to dig myself out of a hole of all these years I was just ignored by the health community about like Mm. oh yeah you just have anxiety take this pill Mm -hmm. and now I'm trying to dig myself out trying to find out the root cause and how am I going to be able to cope with my OCD without any medication I, I wonder then if we could actually use that metaphor and say this was a hole you didn't dig you know, you might have been you might have been in a tiny little puddle to begin with, and actually the system around you dug you a great big hole. Yeah, exactly. Which you're now, and it's almost this is this was um, something that happened when the Manchester Arena bombings happened. I was absolutely furious that there wasn't the right kind of support for these young, uh, and most of them were girls. There yeah. wasn't a lot of the uh, there wasn't a good enough support system for young girls that had just gone through trauma. I I know that trauma. Um, and I think we were talking about this off air, is, is trauma methylates DNA when, you know, given the circumstances. And if you consider that there was 20,000 girls in that in that arena, when that bomb went off, there's 20,000 people whose DNA probably was changed at that moment in time. And what I did find was, you know, basically the system re-traumatised them, put them, on, put them on medication. There's There's a whole heap of young girls growing up that may not have got that kind of system and we need to talk about trauma we need to talk about the system sometimes digs that hole for these these people and i would say it's the lack of knowledge but like like the people from the the arena you're now responsible for paying for and finding out what the root cause is so it's like it's your responsibility and then in one of thing that that also gets me really angry and this is, again this is how I ended up in biohacking was that I feel that mental health is connected to everything so one of the things that I hear more and more about on the government saying is 
there is no money maybe for more uh, health support, right? But if we're going to think about mental health, it has so much impact on so many other things like yeah. like uh, food uh, disturbances, diabetes, or even smoking, yeah. or even criminal reports. I would imagine, I keep on saying that uh, my partner works for the police force and I tell him, I would... I would love to see some statistics on the amount of crimes that would have been prevented if we had a good mental health support system. How mm-hmm. about like jail and everything? How many people are actually just with trauma or depression committing crimes? Um, well, actually, you'll be pleased to know that there's studies that are kind of looking at this. And right now, how do I put this? There is a study called the ACES study. It makes it sound like it's great, doesn't it? The ACE study. Well, <laughs> actually, it stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. And it's the first um, it's like a first conversational starter that that's really been around for the past couple of years um, in terms of talking about trauma, because actually, if you look at childhood trauma, you will find every single person who who is in the criminal justice system, who is um, using substances of any description, who has psychological distress, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it's a pity I'm not in my office because I've got um, the big purple book, as they call it, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. I use it as a bloody doorstop. Um, I don't I don't reference it for much because it's it's all about labels. Actually, yeah. that book. I think I heard about that one actually. Yeah, and there's there's the updated what we have in uh, Europe is the ICD-11. Um, yeah. it's, these are the two books that kind of um, label and demonize. Yeah. yeah, and demonize. But actually, if you go through those books, they're all about child trauma. What was the root cause? Well, it's all the way back when. So you know, there's intergenerational trauma. There's uh, in utero trauma. There's child trauma what we call developmental trauma, all the way up to a certain age. Plus, there's all the stuff that's happening. And right now, we've even got another trauma. We've got this big collective trauma of, of corona. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that'll, I, be me, that'll be me censored then, because I've said the C word. <laughs> I've said, oh, I keep forgetting about that with the podcast. Anyway, I might I might just disguise that one. Yeah, okay, yeah, you, you're going to have to, because, uh, yeah. If you yeah, wanna... but bloody censorship. Mm. Anyway, I'll just call yeah. it, mm. yeah, I said the C word. <laughs> Instagram is also censoring now vitamins and everything. I, yes, I am watching very, very closely all of the, all of the things that are happening in terms of. Uh, I mean, I, I got pulled up by YouTube, and, and it's one of the reasons why I'm now doing this on audio because I get less uh, I get less censorship. And I'm I'm to compared to these big people, I'm just a tiny nobody. Hmm, um, yeah. And yeah, it's anything that I do say or mention. Um, I've had a couple of posts on Facebook taken off. Um, yeah, it's we're in a really bloody difficult time where we can't we can't talk about what we need to talk about. And you know, I wonder if that'll transition over to mental health. We can talk about <laughs> we can talk about certain things. Every, for me, I'm an advocate that everything is related to mental health. Everything, egos, everything is related to mental health. We would have, if we would have such an easier system if everyone had their underlying issues solved. Like even like companies running um, meetings or organization, I, I bet everything would mm-hmm. be better if people didn't have so many egos and uh, triggers. Well- that's why I'm a child trauma therapist because number one I try and I try and get in while it's you know while it's early enough that's that makes me sound like it's all about me there but doesn't it It, I you know these young people if I can get in early enough with them I can change the trajectory of their you know that kind of uh later life issues yeah it doesn't always work but 
Yeah, and that's exactly what I feel like I'm doing with biohacking. I feel like I'm trying to change also the trajectory of people mm. on getting hold of their health. Because at the moment, it feels like the health system is a bit more uh, reactive instead of proactive. And yeah. what I try to show and say, and that's exactly what I did with myself, is taking a bit of ownership from your own health. What is it that you're eating? What is it that you're thinking of? Mm-hmm. Are you mm-hmm. meditating? Because like meditation, for example, is one of those things that everyone knows they should be doing it. There's so many studies around it. Everyone literally knows they have to do it, but no one is actually doing it. And it's just like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it should be a normal thing to show to people is take, take care of yourself. Like, don't expect the doctor to take care of you. Yeah. And, and I think that comes with people don't, I mean, there is, there is also the fact that if you are meditating, you're going to be alone with your own thoughts and meeting yourself in the dark is, is terrifying. Um, Cause there's a part of you that goes, I really thought that. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> ah, yeah. Um, which is probably a bit of an insight into how I think as well there, but you know, there is, there is something about, I don't think people are taught about it. Like, like um, I get my children do um, the, the Sam Harris one mainly because there's a lot of content on there and and I quite like Sam Harris in terms of it uh, the philosophy and um he's also part of this intellectual dark web and there's a lot of there's a lot of um big thinking going on at the moment so you know meditation is something that I teach all of my clients to do but I do it in lots of different ways because I'm aware as well that trauma responses mean that people can't carry out certain types of meditation so um it's really interesting actually when I say on Instagram people going well I'm a crap meditator and I'm like well you can't be a crap meditator that is the meditation you know that you've noticed that you're a crap meditator that's that's the that's the meditation you know is it's front and center in front of you stop looking for this this idea and this kind of enlightenment past it because you're already there you know exactly that reminds me so much uh my sister did say that oh when i finish my yoga class they do try to us to sit down and meditate but my mind keeps on racing and i really can't stop just like focus on my reading and i'm like that's the meditation (laughs) that's the point where you're meditating that's exactly what we want if you're really focused on your breath then maybe you need to find another thing but um Mm -hmm. But if you're not focused on your breath, then that's where you're meditating. I think, yeah. I mean, my my favorite way to explain it to uh, my clients is I will draw. Um, so in cognitive psychology, they talk about um, activation spreading. And what, what that basically is, is one thought leads off into the potential for up to 10,000 other. Let's just bear in mind that we're talking one synapse at a time. It's, it's up to 10,000 other potential thoughts. Mm-hmm. And out of those 10,000, which one is it going to be? And you can see them looking going, well, I don't know. And I go, well, neither do I. But I do know that your your brain, your default mode network will pick one. Most of the time it will be related to you. So is it going to be a good thought or is it going to be an anxious thought or is it going to be, a, a, a I don't know, some sort of self-kicking thought? And what what we do is we map it out. And when you follow the train of thought, you can actually have, I don't know, one one that says, oh, did I put the washing in? And before you know it, you're thinking about cake. So how do you get from washing machines to cake? Well, you think about washing machines and then it's, oh, yeah, I did put the washing out. I said that before I went to so-and-so. And then I saw what she was doing at the at the cafe. And then I saw that person and then they brought a piece of cake. So you can kind of see that you, you've gone in different locations and different different um, areas, but you time travel. So I, I find meditation when I'm explaining it to people massively important because you're a magician of your own your own mind. You're a time traveling 
person mm. and you never know what you're going to think next. Mm. It's, it's impossible to predict it, which I, f- I find is hilarious because sometimes I'm like, where the hell did that come from? That How does that? Yeah. That reminds me a bit of also the idea of what is hypnosis that I didn't know what hypnosis was until someone actually showed me hypnosis. And I was like, oh, I've been hypnosing myself many times when I just imagined myself in another place doing something mm-hmm. else. That's hypnosis. And I was just like, okay. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, well, to be perfectly honest here, Sarah, it has different names depending on what discipline you come from. And this is one of the things about particularly my I want to call it profession, that if you're a, I don't know, a CBT therapist versus a person-centered versus a psychodynamic versus, we've got different words for everything. And I I come from a perspective called interpersonal neurobiology, which is all about um, loads and loads of disciplines. The person to to kind of uh, read around this, who's who's probably going to be really helpful for people listening as well, is Dan Siegel. Um, He does some absolutely amazing books. my favorite is mind and he talks about you know this um this the way in which the mind works and how we can't even predict it so you know i do see a lot and i'm going to say here now that i follow a lot of neuroscientists and sometimes and you know i'm a a bit of a neuro nerd myself and sometimes they say when this happens in the brain and this this is why you're going to do this and i think oh actually given the number of connections that there are in the brain and the possibilities yeah we don't know nothing we don't really yeah, know anything. We don't. We don't. I feel like it's such a mis. And this is why I got really intrigued was when I was prescribed my medication and I started reading about the, the where the psych- uh, psychotherapy came from and where the medications come from, where SSRIs actually come from. And I started to find out that actually we don't know a lot about the brain. And actually yeah. SSRIs are quite basic. Like it's almost like you go to a doctor and it's really basic, like it's serotonin or dopamine that we're going to work on. And it's, and you don't go much more from there. And I'm like, then basically we don't know anything about the brain. And I'm really yeah. confused. Why are we even just not even trying to explore the root cause instead of just putting like a bandaid on the top without knowing the consequences of it? Yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's where you... <laughs> Uh, yeah how do I do this politely that's where you'll see me going off on a major rant when people talk about dopamine hits because we are much more complicated than dopamine hits you know I kind of go well where's where's the human involved in that because actually if we're just dopamine hits or lack of serotonin therefore depression that just takes away the total essence of being a human yeah exactly we we are complicated and and if you think about I don't know, like the the biohacking community, there's a lot of things that we can choose from to help ourselves. But do you know what? It might only fix one one part of the puzzle. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, there's something about, we, yeah, we need bigger, bigger, you know, we need everything integrating. Yeah, exactly. And this is why um, when, when now I started working again with a therapist, I've decided also to work with a functional doctor at the same time because I felt like, I feel like this is not going to be working only on one front. I am mm. also, and to be fair, this is actually three fronts because I have the therapist, I have the functional doctor, but I also have my own research because yes. I keep on reading also and trying to find out what is it that is helping because I need to collaborate also with two other professionals to go faster because me by myself, obviously, I wouldn't be able to do it. Um, but yeah, I feel, and for example, the gut health, for example, we know that, oh, now we know that serotonin is produced also in the gut. And now we're just like, oh, well, but we've been prescribing SSRIs. Maybe if we have looked at the gut health, it could have been different. (laughs) 
I, I would say on that front, I think the reason it has helped people, um, so obviously to, to give anybody who doesn't understand, SSRIs are serotonin re reuptake inhibitors. And one of the things that they do is they increase the amount of serotonin that's in the body. And for me, there's something about, so you take this pill and you put it in your mouth and it's almost like you've said to this pill beforehand, right, you can only go into the brain. You know, you must not go into any other cell in my body. And the pill goes, yes, of course. So you yes. swallow it down and the first bloody place it goes is your gut. I think that's more to do with it than the fact that we're giving people serotonin and say, and actually the evidence has come out now to show that um, depression is not uh, actually a, a reduction in serotonin in the brain. And I'm going, yeah, because everybody was looking up there instead of down there towards yeah, exactly. the gut. And because that's the thing about pharmaceuticals, isn't it? Is you you take something in and it goes into every single your cells don't go. Oh, not for me. Off you go. You know, carry on up the up, only for the brain. Thank you. Off you go. <laughs> I remember actually I, when I was younger. I remember I've always been really curious also about health. My mom is really into natural health and stuff like that. And I always thought, how is it that the hypoprofen knows exactly where my pain is? Mm. <laughs> I yes. always thought about that. I was just like, how is it how is it that hypoprofen only works on the pain? But no, now we know actually it does have an impact also in the intestines. Mm -hmm. And now there has been some research about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um my my son had some surgery on his shoulder and he was given some medication and they gave him some medication to to cover up the fact that it might actually cause um intestinal distress. I went why are they giving you something that they know could actually create holes in your intestines? And then they say to you, but just take this with it as well, just to make sure it doesn't. What, what is going on? It's almost like they've gone. Yeah. It's, and for me, I find this where I work with uh, people with uh, cancer diagnoses. So yeah, I'm, I'm having, you know, chemotherapy and I go, we're going to look back at this in a hundred years and go, what the hell were we doing? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so when that doesn't work, what we do is we have radiotherapy, but it's all right. It's targeted to just it. I'm like, wow. Uh, and yet we know radiation's massively, massively dangerous. Why do we have the two? Why, why is it OK to use it here, but not OK to use it here? Why do we take this approach? And, and well, because well, I, I don't think we know what we're doing. I'm, I'm here thinking, but a few years ago, we've given a Nobel Prize to the guy that created the blobotomy. So... Um, how do we know that now we are right? Mm. It, well, yes, and this is this is kind of why I like. Well, it's what it's why I follow the functional medicine, functional health, you know, biohacking, is because there's something about people have taken back that power. So um, I know yeah. you know uh, Thomas, and when I went on his training a couple of a couple of years ago, and I sat there going, why do we not know about this in the therapy world? Why do we not know about this in the therapy world? Why is this no, not I talked about? I must have done his head in to kind of go in, this is ridiculous. Why is this not in this sector? Why why do psychiatrists not understand this? And I've just finished a book called um, Your Brain on Food by, she's, um, oh, her name's gone. She's a nutritional psychiatrist. Okay. Um, she is also a qualified chef as well, which uh, cook. So it's quite an interesting book. Again, there's a lot in there that I think because she's talking psychiatry, it massively misses out all of the child trauma stuff. It massively misses out the 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 essence of what it is to be human and to to think in certain ways rather than I'm gonna say it's 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 more like it's forgotten about the the therapy side of 
the world because it yeah. does talk about PTSD, but not everybody gets PTSD from trauma. But you're you're touching a really interesting point. Also, is that as practitioners, I am not a practitioner, but it's something that I do look at a lot. Is practitioners need to continue their research and to question the validity of what they're doing. And this mm-hmm. is where I also feel like a lot of people just take their medical degree and then just continue their lives. Has this is what I learned in school. And yeah. that's it. They don't. They don't evolve. And I'm talking about researching, also about nutrition, but also even therapists doing their own therapy, like psychologically, uh, because therapists also have their own trauma and they also have their own triggers. And if they want to help other people, I think they also need to know how to help themselves um, or well, learn, please, or continue that journey at least. I. <laughs> Don't even want to start with the routes that therapists take. What I will say is, luckily for me, the membership body that I trained under made it mandatory. They, they said, you know, you must do throughout all of your training, you must do over 40 hours per year or 40, 40 as a minimum was what they said. Um, so I think I totaled something like eight and a half years because I was in training for eight and a half years because, again, it was like, OK, that's not enough. I need to do another thing. I need to do another. And and that's just how I operate in terms of um, learning. And I've noticed it's pretty much the same in the functional health world and the biohacking. People are all constantly trying to learn to, to yeah, get that better exactly. part. And there are many, many therapists who don't do their own shit first. Yeah. And it frightens me because... Uh, well just coming from a therapy perspective if you don't know your own shadows and your own stuff they're going to get in the way of you helping your client and what ends up happening for people who don't do their own therapy is they don't recognize the damage that they could do or are doing so yeah I absolutely agree we need I mean you've kind of tapped into my little ranty ranty (laughs) place there in terms of um I think I've said it on I don't know how many podcasts do your own first before you try to fix somebody else yeah but exactly and this is why and this is why I'm a bit upset also with the world and all the doctors that I pass on while, while I was growing up or that doctor went, that told me when I was 13, you need to take a calming pill every day. I swear yeah. to God, if I would know the name of that doctor now, I would be like, how dare you to say something like that to a 13 year old that you have to take a calming pill for the rest of your life. Like I could have missed like my teen years. I, I don't know what could have happened to me if I, if I had followed yeah. her advice. Yeah. It makes no sense. Like take some responsibility also like, mm-hmm. So if if we had more practitioners that understood kind of um, the, the functional approach or the biohacking approach, do you do you think we'd have a different outcome? So, oh, you know, yeah, I, I completely I, I feel like the world would be such a different place if everyone would hold themselves a bit more accountable. I'm not even saying don't don't be overthinking about health like sometimes I, I take it a bit too extreme in it like before I buy a product I'm just researching about all the chemicals in it just to make sure that <laughs> I'm yeah. giving myself the best choice um, I'm not even saying that I'm saying a bit hold yourself a bit more about about your health don't just expect that the doctor knows everything you know yourself mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. the doctor knows you and also even like what we put in our mouths like in and like what we eat does have a lot of impact and and people don't think that like they go to a doctor i have i have a headache and they don't think oh maybe it has to do with all the pizza that i ate like yesterday <laughs> but, yep. but it's true is that it's a bit that mindfulness of responsibility that i wish the world had a bit more uh that we don't see mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i have a really big question for you then how do you think we could 
or, or you could in terms of what you do um i'm thinking about your your um marketing consultancy here in terms of who you talk to how do you how do you think we can change this so i know that we have the movement of biohacking uh we've got the movement of functional medicine um what i will tell you is i'm <laughs> A couple of years ago, I was at a trauma conference and I sat talking to somebody I know down from the, the Tavistock and he came to the first first health optimization and he walked in and he went, I knew I'd see you here. And I went, I am so glad you're in the arena with me. We're now looking at trying to educate therapists about uh, about this kind of uh, overlap. But how, how do you think we can do that in terms of it, what I what I will say is I don't see many therapists in the biohacking world. I don't see many in the, the functional health world. So how would I get that message into my world and how do you get the message into your world in terms of, you know, therapy and do, doing mental health? To be honest, I, <laughs> like beyond what I'm doing right now, I'm not even sure. Like, uh, and this is why I got also really involved with the Biohacker London and Health Optimization Summit, mm. with that I feel like the more we talk about it, the more people do make questions. So it feels like almost like a wave. Um, I talk about it and then the next person talks about it and then the next person talks about it. So eventually it becomes a bit more common sense about uh, these things. So I feel mm. like this is a wave and I'm trying to feed that wave also uh, to make this change. Um, but to be fair, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not even sure how to do it even more. Well, it, I mean, it, it needs bridge. It mm. needs it needs a bit more, um, a bit, I guess, a bit of common sense from people to do their search. <laughs> well, I mean, I think there's a lot here about personal responsibility, isn't there? Because you know, yeah. this is this is one of my hopes with this podcast. Is um, I mean, we've we've done a right journey today. We've kind of gone biohacking across to mental health, across to here, across to the let's label the NHS as um, not quite helpful. <laughs> back again there is something about this is this is what i'm hoping to do with uh the podcast is have these conversations and yeah. get get the listeners thinking how do they yeah. take their how do they how seriously do they take their own health you know look at the people that have been on the podcast um in terms of health because uh, i've had thomas on here i've had my uh my own uh functional medicine doctor on i've had um friends that are biohackers who've also kind of literally um, regained their health where they were sent home to die by the NHS. Uh, you know, it's it's about, there's a lot of conversations and I know it's kind of like, it's like you said, a wave. It's like, for me, it's like a ripple. Yeah, and uh, mm. one of the things that, uh, so I'm gonna do a talk now to Biohacking Brazil because one of the things that I wanted to do is I want to open a bridge to the Portuguese community Mm. So I was invited now to talk for the Biohack in Brazil. And one of the things that I thought of myself is I, I'm a marketing consultant, so I don't really have like a doctor background. I, like, I don't feel like I'm, I should be the person to be giving any health advice. But one thing I can say is a bit about the biohacking lifestyle. And a lot of people do say that biohacking is really expensive. A functional doctor is really expensive. But the thing is, there is some small stuff that people can do every day that will improve their health. Yeah. And the more we do this stuff the more it's easier for everyone else to do it so i i'm actually the talk that i'm going to do is going to be about biohacking without breaking the bank <laughs> this is the mindset that i yeah. have is if if i want to tell someone that doesn't have money how to start improving their health what is the list of stuff i would give them and it's, it's quite a big list of stuff they can do 
yeah i do, and, and yeah i agree there is there is the two extremes you know i think um before we started i talked about that some people you know they they won't be able to afford um functional testing they won't yeah, be able to afford exactly. you know and that and it is at this point in time it is still quite elitist i know yeah. that there's there's a big movement to uh uh, like demonetize and and kind of bring it down i know that's that's what um thomas is doing with his omnos platform as well is um and i know that actually there's low socioeconomic status areas that certainly can't afford to be doing it but yet you know my my uh friend and i we talk about this all the time do the stuff that's free if you can't afford that do the stuff that's free because actually you can make a massive impact on your mental health as well as your physical health and actually they marry up together so what i am going to do is give you dan siegel's um talk about he talks about the mind being a little bit like the sea the shore that if you have the sea and the the sand they meet together to make the shore you can't have the shore if you don't have the sea or the sand it's 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 almost like that you couldn't possibly have this existence of a mind and i think that's one of the things that you were talking about when you talk about mental health is actually it is the body and it is the brain because they're, that that's the sea that's the sea and the sand and together they make the mind so your mental health and and if i go a bit woo woo on you here joe dispenza bruce lipton you know greg braden they they have all been sitting and for me there's something about that's that comes from an approach that's to do with depth psychotherapy it comes from uh, the the kind of gestalt it yeah everything that i see and do with my clients i go well of course that's happening because that's connected to that to that to that to that there's this marrying of um information and conversations and i think hopefully that's where we're going to end up going with you know biohacking won't just be about using physical interventions over here and being elitist actually it's going to cover and span health and you know maybe maybe this will be the new national health and i don't want to say service but you know national health I hope so. Approach. A proactive instead of reactive mm -hmm. uh, approach. And um, and to be fair, and, and, this is, and this is what I usually, I, I don't like to hear is, oh, those exams are so expensive. And I'm like, well, don't start with those exams. Start with your environment. Like it can be so simple as that. Mm -hmm. Meditation is free. You can totally do it every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so sunshine and, you know, the earth. And there's the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And and so's walking, you know. Um, yeah. Even books. I was I was thinking uh, one of the things that I added to my list was a lot of people are like, oh, I don't have access to those books, and I'm like, you have a public library, don't you? I'm not even joking. I went to the public yeah. library and I've seen Dr. Mark Hyman in there or Bulletproof and Diet in there. Yeah. You yeah, because people. Yeah, yeah, people request it and then it sits there for everybody. I mean, that's that for me, that's where treasure troves are. Now, if I was doing the podcast inside, you'd see that I I I am a um some women like shoes, some women like I like books. I have I, I've got a bit of an obsession. Apparently, this is something that my children accuse me of is why do we have what is it, five bookcases down one set? Why do we have that many books? I'm like, because that's where all the magic's contained. I've changed now to a Kindle. Now you see, I can't, I can't draw on a Kindle. I like, uh, okay. I like my books. I'm, yeah. I'm very much, you know, for somebody who's a bloody technical and digital person in doing what I'm doing, yeah. I do a lot of handwritten notes and, you know, handwritten yeah. diary and. <laughs> One thing that I've moved, I'm changing also recently, and I do feel that has an impact on my mental health, is a Marie Kondo. 
and uh, it's mm-hmm. like trying to tidy up everything and trying to be a bit more uh, minimalist and mindful of what I have. So there was a big shift for me was I got the Kindle and uh, I'm trying to nugget books. Mm-hmm. I mean, given, I know I'm sitting on this border of ethically, I've got a load of trees in my house that I should not have, you know, but there's, there's, there's something about books, um, which actually I'm just going to totally own. I have a thing about books. It's, it's a, com- mm, yeah. Is it a compulsion or is it a fetish or is it a liking or is it, is it a, need? It's a need? No, it's a need. <laughs> I, I I did mention on the other day, um, so I was with a bunch of biohacker friends and I was just saying that, um, that actually the majority of the love stories are not love stories, they're dependencies. And they were laughing so much at it, at that thought. And I was just like, it is true. Like when you start looking at what is the dependency that like, what is a, a need in your life and everything, you start seeing all these things in your life and you're like, all of a sudden, everything's just more clear. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a whole rabbit hole we could go down there in terms of, um, uh, in terms of, yes. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. I think that we'll save that that for another conversation. Um, Yeah. Relationships and dependencies has been also something that I've been reading a lot because uh, what I suffered from during the lockdown was what we call relationship OCD. And some people can actually call it uh, the cold feet. And uh, what I had was obviously the obsessions over my relationship and everything with my boyfriend at the time. So then I dwelled into a world of what is a relationship, what is love, and actually what is to practice love. Um, so yeah, that would be like completely maybe new podcast because I've been like learning so much about it. Yes. And right now I haven't t- so um there are six styles of love. There are five love languages. There are, yeah, yeah. there's, there's lots that, you know, that would there's be an amazing podcast to. as well. Yeah. 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 <laughs> now, you know, you know how I said we'd go for maybe half an hour. Well, we've done an hour. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We need to <laughs> so, but I think what we'll do is we'll kind of go, yes, there's more to, there's possibly more to do here and have lots and lots of conversations. And do you know what? The more people I can get, to just come and have conversations the better because I think mm-hmm. that's that's you know I I'm no Joe Rogan in terms of the the people yeah, that exactly. gets on but actually I think there's more and this is personal experience I think there's more knowledge at what I call ground level than there is in uh, you know the massive celebs and everything like that so oh, exactly. Exactly. yeah yeah so th- these are the conversations that matter to to me I think they're really good marketeers and really good managers, but sometimes the real knowledge, it's not exactly on them because the real researchers and the people that do have the real knowledge usually don't spend that much time trying to make money. Well, yes, that's kind of how it feels quite often. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's, it's like, <laughs> it is true. It is true. <laughs> mm-hmm. I do feel like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, thank you. Thank you for your time. And I've I've thoroughly, well, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed talking to you and, you know, feel that we could go on for at least another hour, two hours or whatever, because the, it'd be like, and then there's this and that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, so thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thank you. This podcast was edited by Rory Kavanagh an audio enthusiast and music producer.